You know, this has been a scrambled year. Would you agree? 2020 has just kind of seemed to be upside down. So I found what we need, what, what we should have done. In all the ways that Christmas, that life was different in 2020, and man, I'm hoping we can return something closer to normal in 2021. But this Christmas was affected too. Go like this. This Christmas was affected. It, it was different. How many ways was your Christmas different this year than, than all the, the other years? You know, this is the 51st Christmas that Jennifer and I have been married. And there were four before that that we celebrated together with family and, and friends before we got married. But this is the first one since the first one. <laughs> no, not that wouldn't have been the first one. It's the first one since 1973 that we've spent alone. Uh, we've always had kids or family or we went to see parents and brothers and sisters and, and, uh, or, and then after the kids got married, they, they were coming home. But we had no family on Christmas Day with us. Our Christmas Eve, we did go down to Aztec on Christmas Eve and spent a few hours with my mom and dad. Uh, took them some cookies and some stuff. Uh, and we FaceTimed with family on Christmas Day. But we spent the day by ourselves. Uh, and I guess that was a good experience because we still love each other. We still enjoyed spending a, a day together. Actually, we spent a whole week together with nobody else, just, just the two of us. Uh, but it was, ups, it was upside down. Uh, we had no Christmas decorations at all. None. Well, that's not true. I did get out one reindeer that sings and talks. Oh, that's right. You did get one, one of the reindeers that sings when you press the thing. The so Beatsy had something to play with when she was over. Uh, but none of the rest of it. Went no tree, no lights. Uh, I didn't wrap a single gift. Not a one. I gave Jennifer a couple, but I just handed them to her. I said, here, Merry Christmas. Um, and I have one for Amy and Derek, but I haven't wrapped it either. I just plan to give it to them and say, hey, here it is. Merry Christmas. Um, Jen wrapped some for the kiddos, the grandkids. And uh, hopefully we're going to be able to exchange those this afternoon, uh, two days after Christmas, because Amy did get the results of her COVID test and she's negative. And so uh, we're going to get together and have bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches for Christmas meal. How does that sound? Mighty fine. Mighty fine. <laughs> the what? Mighty fine. Mighty fine? Yeah. At least, just look at it, at least it's not a turkey casserole. That's all I can say. There's, there's no turkey involved. So our 2020 Christmas was upside down. And so what, what I found was a Christmas decoration we should have considered. An upside down Christmas tree. Did you know you can get upside down Christmas trees? They, uh, they build them, so, uh, the, the website Wayfair has 75 different models of upside-down Christmas trees. 
with the stand and everything. You look at it and it's upside down. Uh, are there, there are some that you actually hang from the ceiling. And so they, they come down and they don't even touch the floor. Uh, you know, they come in all styles. So what do you think of that idea, an upside down Christmas tree? Before you answer that, let me tell you what you think. Some of you think, hey, that would be great. <laughs> it doesn't take up any floor space. If you have big presents or lots of presents under the tree, there's lots of room for them. You don't have to stretch out into the, into the living room or the den. Uh, you don't have any ornaments that are down there too low that the cat knocks around. or uh, You know, what a, it's, a, it's a great idea, and that's what some of you think. But some of you, we're not going to take a vote. Some of you are thinking, no, 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 no. You can't have an upside-down Christmas tree. There's no place to put the star. Or there's no place to put the angel. There's no way to keep it watered so it doesn't dry, so you can't have a real tree. And it doesn't look like a Christmas tree. I don't like it. I just don't like it. Some of you are thinking that. And some of you, the more theologically minded among you, saying, that is evil, it's satanic. <laughs> I mean, the tree is supposed to point up to God, but if you hang it upside down, it points, well, you know where it points. <laughs> so don't mess with the tree. It'll ruin Christmas. And it'll be another thing that messes up our Christmas. And you know, the things that mess up our Christmas have been around for a long time. It, it, messing up Christmas, I think, is one of the underlying fears of our, of our society, our culture. Just, just think about it. Think about the Christmas stories, that the, the old time stories that we showed our children, and you can watch them now streaming. They're all about something that's out to ruin Christmas. The Grinch that stole Christmas. Frosty the Snowman. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. All of those are about something that's going to mess up Christmas. And we've got to do something to make Christmas right. They all have that plot. I read about a pastor in a church. He was the first time that he was there for Christmas. And on the first Christmas Eve service, the sanctuary was packed. It was, you know, like I said, it was a big service on Christmas Eve. The atmosphere was festive. There were a lot of visitors. And after the service, the pastor was at the door trying to greet people and say hello. And one of the longtime members came to the door, but she refused to shake his hand. She was mad at the pastor. And with a scowl, she said, thanks for ruining my Christmas. I said, what, what did I do? And she said, we didn't sing the first Noel. <laughs> We've always sung that carol on Christmas Eve. It just isn't Christmas without the first Noel. And you think, well, that's an incredible story. But no, that's a very real story. I could tell you some stories, personal stories. There was one Christmas that I wasn't sure I was going to get to go home with my family and unwrap presents. There was a lady who was so upset with me uh, because of the service. It wasn't what she expected it to be. I think we ought to have a new animated TV show for Christmas. 
the pastor who stole Christmas. <laughs> that would work, don't you think? Yeah. We just don't want things to be upside down at Christmas. You know, any other time in our lives, you can deal with it, but not at Christmas time. We don't like the deviation, no upside downness to our lives. It was the day after Christmas at a church in San Francisco. Pastor Mike went out to look at the nativity scene out on the lawn, and he noticed that the baby Jesus was missing. Somebody had stole the baby Jesus out of their manger scene. And so Mike, Pastor Mike was going to go to the church to call the police, but just as he was about to do so, he saw one of the little kids from the church. His name was Jimmy. He had a red wagon. And in the red wagon was baby Jesus. Pastor Mike walked up to Jimmy and said, Well, Jimmy, where did you get the baby Jesus? He said, I got him from the church, out of the manger scene. And the pastor said, And why did you take him? And Jimmy said, Well, about a week before Christmas, I prayed to the little Lord Jesus, and I told him, if he would bring me a wagon for Christmas, I would give him a ride around the block. In <laughs> Christmas is great. Lots of stories. Lots of people trying to steal Christmas. Today's passage of Scripture, it's in the Old Testament. And it tells us that Christmas is actually a time when things got turned upside down. It's God's agenda. That was the purpose of Christmas in the first place, was to turn things around, to turn things upside down. It's in Micah 5, beginning in verse 2. It says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Epaphrath, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. When the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples on our citadels, then we will raise up against him seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. The prophet Micah, writing 500 years before Christ, wrote about a coming time for Israel when things were going to be turned upside down. The nation had turned their back on God, and now they face God's judgment. And Micah said, this judgment would be carried out by enemies who would build a wall of siege against them and would strike the ruler of Israel upon the cheek in an open display of disdain. Now, that's earlier in the book of, of Micah. Micah verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, says, Now, daughter, who is under attack, you slash yourself in grief. A siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. In other words, things aren't good in Israel. Things are bad. Things are, you know, they're, they're just miserable. The old patterns of idolatry and corruption 
that characterized the reign of many of the kings of Israel had made the nation almost Grinch-like in its devotion to self-interest and material gain and the oppression of the weak. Listen to the words of the prophet Micah from the second chapter. He says, Woe to those who dream up wickedness and prepare evil plans on their beds. At morning light they accomplish it because the power is in their hands. They covet fields and seize them. They also take houses. They deprive a man of his home, a person of his inheritance. And so in the midst of this prophecy of judgment and tough times and and things aren't going well, there's going to be a new king who would arise and break this old pattern, in effect, turning world upside down. His origins, Micah says, are from the lowly town of Bethlehem, one of the little towns in Judah, not even a big town. And it's a signal that God is interested in overturning the human expectations of power and prestige, and he wants to uplift the weak. Micah 5, verse 2, Bethlehem, you are small among the clans of Judah, but one will come from you to be the ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity, he says. And then he talks about this king. He says, this king will be a shepherd who will feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. Shepherding is a common metaphor in the scripture for leadership. And this image causes to the mind, for example, the Lord choosing David over Saul as the king of Israel. In the humble, compassionate servant whom God chooses over mighty warriors and handsome princes. Now, the word Messiah is not mentioned in Micah. It doesn't use that word. Uh, But Christians have long read this as a messianic prophecy, naturally applying it to Jesus as the one who would secure his people and bring peace. We read it that way in Matthew chapter 2. It's quoted in Matthew chapter 2. Some of you recognized it from the Christmas story there. Because this is how Herod knew where to send the wise men when they appeared at Jerusalem. He went and asked the, the elders. He went and asked the scribes. He says, where is this Jesus? Where is this king to appear? And they read this passage of scripture. He says he's to appear in Bethlehem. And so they went to, to, to Bethlehem. Jesus came amidst a swirl of expectations about what a Messiah would be. He would save his people and he would do it according to their preconceived expectation and their religiously approved plan. The one that the scholars said was an approved plan. He was expected to wield a sword, but he wielded a shepherd's crook like Micah said. And he made peace by eliminating the enemies of Israel. And this was in a time when Rome was in its ascendancy. And Rome was in power. And God came and he made the restoration of Israel part of his message. And God turned their expectations upside down. When instead of a king with a sword, he sent a shepherd with a crook, with a staff. 
Max Lucado, Max Lucado said it this way. This is great. If you haven't read any of his stuff, you need to, you need to read some of his stuff. Here's what he said. He said, instead of a mighty king, he looks like anything but a king. His faith is, face is prunish and red. His cry, though strong and healthy, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. And he is absolutely dependent on Mary for his well-being. God actually dependent on a mom, a young teenage mom. He goes on, he says, It's majesty in the midst of the mundane. It's holiness in the midst of sheep manure and sweat. It's divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenager and in the presence of a carpenter. Isn't that a great statement? It explains the birth of Jesus. That's from his book, God Came, From God Came Near. He preached love over and against vengeance for his enemies. He spent time with the outcasts and proclaimed that they would be the new in-crowd. He was a great teacher, but he performed as a lowly servant. I'm getting a phone call from my cousin who knows I'm a pastor and knows it's 11.20 on Sunday morning. Sheesh. Uh, my dad wants to know who it is. <laughs> it's Dickie. That's who it is. So where was I? I? You know, there's some things you got to put up with with technology, right? You just got to put up with it. Sorry, guys. Right in the middle of getting into this. I said, he preached love over and against vengeance for enemies. He spent time with the outcasts and proclaimed that they would be the new in crowd. He was a great teacher, but performed as a lowly servant even washing feet. For Jesus, the categories of rich and poor, in and out, great and humble, even life and death were all reversed. You know, that's a message that's good for us to hear at this time of year. Now think about all the stuff you've seen on the news. And we need to realize that with God, all men are the same, all women are the same. Our world has been turned upside down. And so we've had an upside down holiday. And so let's just admit in everything that's happened, the reason for Christmas is that a Savior has been born for you. God has given you a Savior. And it's this baby who turns the whole world upside down. And so instead of celebrating sameness and traditional uniformity during Christmas, this Christmas we're celebrating an upside-down, backward nature of the gospel that Jesus ushers into the world. A manger-born Messiah, 
a counterintuitive teacher, a religious rebel to the establishment, a crucified king, and a resurrected redeemer. Nobody expected that at Christmas. It would have been too much, too off the map. Upside-down Christmas trees would look normal by comparison. It's the way it is. So maybe hanging our trees from the ceiling isn't such a bad idea if it causes us to think different about the flip side of Christian faith, perhaps we could all use a little upside-down Christmas and see the world from the perspective of the manger and the cross. So maybe hanging our trees from the ceiling is something we ought to think about. 66 years before the birth of Christ, in an aristocratic neighborhood of Rome, a very important child was born. And as soon as he arrived, a messenger raced into the Roman Senate and announced, the next ruler of the world is born. His name was Octavius. You know him as Caesar Augustus, son of Julius Caesar. He grew up in the palace. He was educated by the finest teachers of literature, philosophy, and government. At the age of 33, he was the uncontested ruler of the entire Roman Empire. He just had to give the word, and armies would march and ships would sail. He could give the word, and the world would move for him. And the Senate gave him the name Caesar Augustus, or Emperor Augustus, meaning the exalted one. And he reigned over this golden age of the Roman Empire. And when he was 66 years old, history says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And it was during that census, that registration, that another child was born in a very unimportant village in a very unimportant part of the empire. No Roman messengers ran to announce his birth. Instead, it was God's own angelic messengers that announced his birth. Not to the kings, not to the senate, not to the rulers. Who did he announce it to? to the shepherds in their fields watching their flocks. He wasn't raised in a palace but in a common home. He was not educated in literature and philosophy but he was taught how to be a carpenter. And at age 33 he ascended not to the reign of the Roman Empire but to a Roman cross. John says he was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own and his own people did not accept him. So it's nothing unusual. There's never been much room for Jesus. That's why they killed him. But in the ultimate sacrifice of the sins of the world, Jesus became the king of a whole new kingdom that has outlived every empire that's ever existed. And folks, 
he is going to outlive this empire too. If these are the last days of our democracy, Jesus reigns, and he still will. And I don't know where you're going, but I'm going with Jesus. Amen. 2,000 years later, Caesar Augustus is a memory in history. Did you guys even learn about him in history? You did? Cool. They're at least teaching some history still. But his empire disintegrated over 1,700 years ago. He was the ruler of the world. But he hadn't been around for, his kingdom hasn't been around for 1,700 years. But that baby born in the manger is still ruling his kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And when our kingdom is gone, his kingdom goes on. So that's upside down. The wrong guy won, according to history. But that's the way God is. That's the way God works. Like the prophet Micah said, we need to admit that we're not number one. We don't belong to God's kingdom because we're powerful. We don't belong to God's kingdom because we're good. We don't belong to God's kingdom because we're on the right side. We don't belong to God's kingdom because we're deserving. We're not headed to heaven because we're, our deeds are good. The baby born in the backyard of a crowded motel died to be your savior. And that's who we're going with. Jesus. It's upside down. But in God's world, it's right side up. Father, please, we pray, help us to see you as rulers in our world, rulers in our life, and help us to stick with you through thick and thin, no matter what happens, because your kingdom is forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.